Auzubillahiminashaitanirrajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed in the name of Allah the gracious the merciful Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh peace be upon you all and welcome to the Tuesday drive time show with myself Saad Ahmed and my co-presenter Noshirwan Ahmed and in today's topics and today's discussion we have two very important topics in the first hour we will be discussing in regards female drinkers and in the second hour extreme diets the hidden dangers but before all that assalamu alaikum nashirwan how are you wa alaikum assalam by the grace of allah sat i'm doing well how are you today not bad it's just chilly outside and it's just a bit cold today but the rest alhamdulillah but funny enough <laughs> i quite enjoy the the cold atmosphere and the weather uh, interesting yeah although it's gone very cold it's gone and really i think cool it's today. going to be like this for the next few days wow um but looking forward to it wherever the weather brings us so as you know the topics uh the topic for the first hour is female drinkers and uk women top of binge drinking list you know and today we will be dwelling into a critical and concerning trend the increasing private um, uh i forgot the uh, prevalence uh, prevalence, the prevalence <laughs> thank you so of, much yeah. prevalence of binge drinking among women in the uk and you know, especially in the recent reports um noshwan you know have brought it to light that um which are very astonishing that the uk now leads their global charts in female binge drinking defined as consuming six or more drinks in a single session you know surprisingly 26% of the uk women are engaging in this behavior um at least once a month yeah. and as we unpack the obviously this issue of today um, we will be speaking with our guests in in regards to this also we'll try to explore not only the statistics and the trends behind these figures but also the um, broader implications from health risks to family dynamics binge drinking ha- you know has far reaching con- um, consequences so uh, our conversation in today's show will also include a look into initiatives like dry january so as as we're going through the month of january so we are uh, the, the initiative is to stop drinking during this month even though uh, first of all let me put one thing out the islam forbids um alcohol consumption uh, in drinking something which in, which intoxicates someone so that's forbidden in islam yeah so just and obviously the islamic perspective will try and dwell on that also regarding its um alcohol consumption and yeah let's see how it how the um day goes on in in regards to this very topic today yeah yeah so this is um it's more than just a discussion of course. um the show uh, and it's more than just about the statistics um we're obviously going to dive into the social and cultural factors uh, which contribute to this uh, trend in itself Indeed. of um, the increase um, in drinking and what can be done to address it so throughout this hour obviously we'll be, like you mentioned we'll be speaking to some of our guests they will shed light um, upon this matter and obviously we'll um, as being voice of islam a radio show presenting the two true teachings of islam uh, we'll look at what islam has to say in regards Correct. to this so you know that the trends of binge drinking among uh, among women in the UK you know one of the reports of the guardian shed light on the um stalling trend that um, within one in four women engaging in binge drinking at least once a month this that's pat- that's within the UK UK yes uh, this pattern signifies not just a health 
concern, but also a cultural shift in alcohol consumption behavior. So it's not just, you know, the notion is that men drink a lot, right, in the UK. But obviously we can see from this that there's a shift happening at the moment. And the UK's position in the global context in particular worrying. Um, so in, the Euronews highlights that the UK alongside Luxembourg ranks third overall for binge drinking rates across both genders, but it leads the chart for um, women um, specifically. And these are some, um, so just a few mm. stats um, for, for our listeners today in regards to um, what's what's happening in the UK in regards to alcohol consumption at the moment. Yeah. So just picking up that, uh, further, th- this ranking points to a unique challenge uh, faced by women in the UK regarding mm-hmm. alcohol consumption. And of course, there's several factors contributing to this trend. Um, including increased uh, social acceptability of drinking among women, pressures of modern life, and possibly uh, underlying mental health concerns, of course, which is um, quite worrying as well. And it's essential um, that we delve into these reasons to understand why uh, binge drinking is becoming more prevalent among women. Of course, this could be several factors um, that uh, contribute to that. And the trend seems to cut across various age groups and social backgrounds, um, indicating that it's not confined to a particular demographic. Mm-hmm. And um, this widespread nature of the issue calls for a comprehensive approach in addressing it. Um, because if it is an issue and it is um, raising alarming rates, then of course we need something to address it. And in recent years, um, especially the period of COVID-19 pandemic Mm -hmm. um, and subsequent lockdowns that have also seen a shift in drinking patterns, isolation and stress during this time may have contributed. So, of course, the studies have suggested that during the COVID lockdown periods um, and the lockdowns, etc., that has caused uh, a shift in regards to that. Uh, And it has contributed to an increase in alcohol consumption among women as suggested by some health surveys. Well, and you know, as you know, we've, the, the radio station is Voice of Islam, and so I put in a verse in chapter 5, um, verse 91 and 92, although the Almighty has stated in regards um, in the injunctions of concerning in, intoxication, right? O ye who believe wine and the game of chance, which which is known as gambling in in, in the modern day, um, are only an abomination of Satan's handiwork. So shun each other of them uh, that you may prosper. Satan seeks only to create enmity and hatred among you by means of wine and game of chance and to keep you back from the remembrance of Allah and from prayer. So please remember uh, um, all the listeners in regards to this. Keep um, um, And to keep you back from the remembrance of Allah and from prayer. So I'll, I'll also have put some um, um, biblical verses um, later on in, in regards to this, what, um, what the Bible states in regards to wine and the remembrance of uh, of, our, of the Creator also. But the Arabic word which is used, al-khamr, is used in this verse, which means anything that intoxicates or alters the mind. Thus, all forms of intoxic- uh, intoxications are forbidden. It's not um, alcohol itself, but mm. anything which makes you intoxicated, that is forbidden. So the verse clear, clearly um, explains the problems created by the use of intoxications first. They lead to hatred and enmity amongst people, causing um, various different beha- behavioral um, issues. For example, it could be violence, immoral behavior, and so on and so forth. Uh, 
I just remember you know in the World Cup of Qatar they banned alcohol right and women who went there they said we felt safer because of um bad behavior behavior wasn't happening so they felt a bit safer due to um, um alcohol not being um consumed in such large, large gatherings so that was a good outcome yep. um also in in regards to that so hence you know islam has forbidden it from from the get go that you can't have anything which intoxicates you likewise i'll put uh, i'll state some of the verses here uh, in in regards to the bible also you know um in proverbs 20 um verse 1 wine produces mock mockers um alcohol leads to brawls um those lead astray by drinking cannot be wise so uh, the, uh, the bible is so stating you know alcohol leads to brawls so um, alcohol leads towards um fights and likewise in i'm hope um i i try my best to pronounce it um, properly levictus right um 10 Um, uh, is, is mentioned in chapter 8 and 9 then the Lord said to Aaron you and your descendants must never drink wine or any other alcoholic drinks before going into a tabernacle tabernacle is basically a place of congregation like was the Holy yeah. Quran states also that don't uh, go um, anywhere um, don't go towards prayer when you're intoxicated right so we should uh, you know it that's also mentioned in the holy quran the hence you know, from the get go islam has said anywhere where there's a, a large gathering you shouldn't try and stop um, having alcohol so hence alcohol was forbidden and uh, uh, there was a narration um that when alcohol ban came through right that they they threw out all the barrels and yep. the <coughs> the streets were flowing of alcohol at that time and one thing which which came one, one thing which was really great you know hazrat umar the second um caliph of islam he always wanted this to happen that alcohol should be banned and when it came through right and he was so happy about it that and hence uh, allah the uh, sorry uh, the holy prophet peace and blessings be be upon him said that oh umar you know even satan doesn't come close to you, to to or close mm. to your shadow see he was such a pious person of of that time that he wanted something to happen allah made some um, ways and means and hence alcohol um, was for um, banned um, and during that that time so mm. i have a quick audio of his holiness in regards to why islam has banned alcohol so here are the words of his holiness um, my second question is why are we allowed to drink any alcohol alcohol when you see already you have uh, seen so many campaigns against drunken driving haven't you yes and you must have been aware also of uh, alcohol men being mentioned frequently in connection with the uh, increase in crime so this is something which is bad because under alcoholic influence we either lose control of, over our actions or we are enfeebled in our mental capabilities to judge things in the right perspective so we make we are more likely to make errors of judgment like it is demonstrated during our driving of cars under alcoholic influences why do accidents take place because our uh, judgment is impaired under alcoholic influence so when you can't drive a car how can you be safe in dealing with other human affairs 
That is why many an alcoholic person has been reported to smash the head of his own child against the stone wall, becoming mad at something, you know, he couldn't control his rage. Similarly, most of the cruelties committed against uh, wives, women here, uh, by their husbands, are reported to be under the influence of wine or alcohol, whatever you call it. So, because it is, it has more bad than good about it, so the Holy Quran says that is why it has been forbidden. These were the words of His Holiness, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the fourth caliph of the Prophet Messiah, um, may, upon whom be peace. He he was stating in regards of why alcohol was banned to a child, explaining very simply, very beautifully, um, in regards why alcohol was banned. Moving this conversation further, do you know the impact it, it, alcohol has on health and on, obviously on the families? That is quite um, severe yep. also. So if you can kind of explain yes, it. Yes, you've bit. already um, mentioned the verse of the Holy Quran in which it states that alcohol, um, why it's banned and stuff. Um, and of course, it underscores the potential for alcohol to sow discord and disruption within mm -hmm. communities and families. Um, so given the Islamic emphasis on safeguarding the whole family unit in itself from such disruptions, it's crucial to understand how binge drinking especially among women, um, can profoundly affect fi uh, the family's dynamics. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, the health implications, they extend beyond um, the individual. Uh, and of course, it touches the lives of family members and often disrupting um, the nurturing and stable environment essential for the holistic growth of a family. So binge drinking possess serious health risks, including, including liver disease, heart problems, and an increased risk of certain cancers. For women, these risks can be even more pronounced due to psychological differences. And if you take it even further into context, the mental mental health implications, such as increased anxiety and de depression, they can't be overlooked because, of course, those are also part of the effects mm -hmm. of consumption of alcohol. So Islam is very categorical, very clear in regards to this matter, um, that the preservation of health is paramount, is important um, for every Muslim um, to look after their well-being, their health, uh, because this um, body that we're given is a trust uh, from Allah the Almighty, and mm -hmm. it's on it's our duty to look after it in the best manner. Um, and it is believed that a healthy body um, supports a healthy mind and spirit. Of course, your soul and your body physically they have a link. So whatever you consume yourself in your daily lives, whether that can be, it could also be linked to foods as well. It all is going to affect your spirituality, your your mind, and your spirit. So the Quran stance against intoxicants aligns with this principle itself, uh, seeking to protect individuals from harm, harming their body. And obviously, beyond personal health, binge drinking can stain family relationships. Um, there's many examples uh, that we see, um, and of course, you read out a, f a few biblical references yes. as well that wine can lead to brawls and fights etc obviously you know there's another one um, when you just mentioned spirituality as remember there's another one about epiphanies and five and it's mentioned in the chapter um chapter five verse 18 that don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life instead be filled with the holy spirit singing palms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music so and so and it goes further on towards so it says it very at the very start do, do not drink wine and 
be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Be, be more spiritual. Yep. That's what the Bible is. <coughs> I, I, I haven't written them down anyway, but I've taken it from from a, 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 a Christian website, right? Yeah. So it's not something I'm stating out from there, but it's taken from the um, yeah. from the from the actual sources. I, I tried my best to go to them and look over them instead of me quoting something of the Bible and yeah. not knowing about it and put, and hence. Those, so that these are a couple of verses mm. which I've just taken out today, and you know that's what Islam has been teaching also that you yeah. know it, intox uh, anything which intoxicates you that that is forbidden. Likewise, you know his um, his the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said in it's mentioned in the book of Sahih Bukhari that all drinks that intoxicate you are unlawful, and that's uh, and it, that's the eleventh um, hadith of the book seventy four. So you know, so I can, there are many different um, different um, narrations of, of of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him in regards to this that alcohol consumption is um, uh, so alcohol anything which intoxicates you that is yeah. forbidden. Yeah, and of course, and the, the instability um, apart from that, the instability this creates in homes it can yes. be particularly damaging for kids, for children, um, affecting their emotional and psychological well being. And in Islam, the family unit itself is considered sacred and anything that threatens its harmony like alcohol abuse is discouraged right mm -hmm. the Quranic teachings emphasize the importance of maintaining family bonds and providing a nurturing environment for all family members yes sorry my phone just went off i <laughs> forgot to put it on silent today i do apologize for that and you know also that there are many other um implicate uh, other impact um which can have for example social implications of alcohol abuse extent you know are also very um um implications of alcohol um you know i've been thrown off my game at the moment <laughs> i do apologize my phone did go off but uh do apologize for that um the social implications of alcohol abuse extend beyond you know, individual families to a wider community it's essential for communities, um, especially, to come together to support those struggling with um, alcohol dependency. So we have with us, in regards to um, um, alcohol, a senior researcher uh, um, and policy manager at Alcohol Change UK, Ma uh, Mark. I would like to welcome him to the show. Asalaamu Alaikum. Peace be upon you. How are you, Mark? Hello, thank you. I'm very well. How are you? Not bad. Thank you for asking. Um, obviously, Mark, I wanted first of all ask you, uh, a bit about what is alcohol change and what is your role in that organization yeah sure so um we're alcohol change uk as you said we're an alcohol charity um, working throughout the year to reduce the harm caused by alcohol uh, helping to improve and, and hopefully save lives across the uk um, we work towards a future in which people drink uh, as a conscious choice not as a default mm -hmm. Um, and for those of us who drink too much, um, they have access to high-quality support whenever it's needed, uh, without stigma or shame. Um, we're probably best known for running the Dry January campaign, which is about um, taking a month off drinking alcohol, which I imagine some of your listeners might be doing at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, there are an estimated 8.5 million people uh, across the UK were thought to be going dry this month um, and experiencing the, yes. the benefits of taking a break from alcohol. Sorry, uh, and Mark, I want to ask, you know, regarding dry January especially, so those people who are going through this at this very moment, are they feeling any withdrawal symptoms, any issues, or just jumping back into drinking? Uh, what You mean once dry January is finished? or Yes. 
Yeah. Um, well, the research suggests that actually um, doing the rest of the year, people who do a dry January with alcohol change UK um, moderate their drinking throughout the year um, rather than going back to, um, you know, the, the, the usual drinking behaviours um, come February. So mm-hmm. um, we see it as a, as, as a real positive campaign that, that helps people kind of take a pause around their drinking, uh, reflect on why maybe alcohol may not be such a good idea for them all the time, and, and hopefully then moderate their drinking um, through the rest of the year. Interesting. And also, you know, uh, in regards to this, those people who are going, for example, through um, dry um, January at the moment, um, mm. what benefits are they gaining out of it by the end when they come out? Well, I think, you know, what are we, we are 16 days in now, and although people will be having different experiences, I think one of the things that's coming through loud and clear at the moment uh, when we're looking at, for example, the dry January social media feeds is that people are experiencing better sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, we seem to be a more well-rested nation when we're not drinking. And the reason for that is that although alcohol can get us to sleep more quickly, it's actually a less restful sleep. We don't spend so much time mm-hmm. in that deep sleep phase of our, of our sleeping cycle. And consequently, we often wake in the morning not feeling as rested as perhaps we should. Um, and I, I suppose the follow-on to that as well is that you'll then be experiencing higher energy levels, um, hopefully with a bit more enthusiasm to, to start the day. Um, you know, and that means being more productive, whether it's at work or just doing some of the more mundane routine tasks like the grocery shop. Um, or maybe if we're going for a walk or a run, going that little bit quicker or that little bit further without getting so tired. And I think it's it's actually these little changes that people see when they're not drinking is the real eye opener. It's like, I didn't realize quite how tired I'd be. I didn't realize how sluggish I'd been feeling or how irritable I'd been in the morning. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people that goes away quite quickly when they stop drinking. And it's, it's why one of the, it's one of the reasons why some of us kind of carry on beyond January, as I mentioned, because yes. actually we quite like this feeling of having more energy and being more productive. Yes. And you know, I'm carrying this conversation forward further. The, the um, OECD found um, women in the UK topped the list um, for binge drinking compared to other females mm. across 33 countries. From your point of view, what are the various causes um, of this result and why are UK women at the top of the list? Well, alcohol seems to be such a, a core part of, of many people's lives in the UK, doesn't it? And that that's the case, I think, irrespective of gender. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that certainly in comparison with other countries is that alcohol seems to be everywhere. It's so ingrained in our culture in the UK. You can buy it 24-7, whether it's online or your local store. You very rarely have to walk very far to end up in a place that sells alcohol, either a shop or a pub or a restaurant or even somewhere like a petrol station. It's relatively cheap to buy and it's heavily marketed. We sold this idea by drinks companies that life is better when we're drinking. And it's one of the things that we try to challenge in our Dry January campaign, that actually it's it's easier than you think to enjoy life without alcohol, whether it's for a short period of, or longer. And with regards women in particular, there are, there are probably a few reasons why women's drinking has been creeping up in recent years. And probably from the 1990s onwards, we saw what was known then as, as the ladette culture, whereby you had uh, quite prominent female celebrities who were increasingly being seen in public drinking what were traditionally men's drinks, you know, beers and lagers. Uh, and that was kind of what was the start of public attitudes to women's drinking shifting. 
whereby it's now become equally acceptable for women and men to be open and even celebrate how much alcohol they consume. And, you know, there's a strong argument that that's not necessarily a bad development. I don't think any of us want to go back to the days where women weren't perhaps welcome in pubs or, and mm-hmm. being drunk in public was, was somehow more shameful if you were a woman. Um, but there has been a downside, and that is that as that in- increased consumption has happened, that's meant increased levels of harm amongst women. So um, why is it so important you know, for this um, public education and or at least uh, awareness campaigns, for example, dry January, if if it for example, in tackling um, alcohol-related issues. So, if you can um, explain us in your in your experience, what have been some effective um, stretch strategies in regards to this approach? Yeah, um, well, education has a role to play. Awareness raising has a, a role to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as well, a lot of us actually are aware of the risks around alcohol already and the impact on our health. And even if we're not and are told about it, as humans, we are not always the most rational of beings. Are we? we often make you know, strange choices in our lives that aren't necessarily always the best for us. And it's, it's very rare that we're really thinking about our long-term health. So improving awareness, for example, having clearer information on the labels of alcohol products about the health risks of drinking, they're important. But probably much bigger things that we need to think about are things less about personal behavior and more about government intervention. Um, so one of the things government should look at, in our opinion, is is how some alcohol in England, particularly high-strength products um, that heavier drinkers tend to buy mm-hmm. and consume, is sold very cheaply. Um, so, for example, in Wales and Scotland, the, the devolved governments they have introduced something called a minimum price, which prevents alcohol being sold below a certain price per unit. And although it's early days, we're beginning to see some positive effects of that on things like sewer alcohol-related hospital admissions. So that's something, that's one of the big drivers we think that should be happening in England as well. Uh, Mark, uh, with the rise of online alcohol sales, uh, you know, the, ex- the existing regulations, are they keeping pace or do you see a need for new policies or enforced strategies in this area? Well, certainly more and more of us are um, using the internet and apps on our phones to buy alcohol, whether that's part of a, you know, your, your, your grocery shop or whether it's with a, a hot meal from a restaurant or whether it's a standalone purchase. And when we were in lockdown um, back in 2020 as a result of the pandemic, that accelerated that growing trend of, of buying alcohol on, online yeah. to be delivered to our homes. Um, and even though now we've kind of returned to shopping and physical stores, some of those behaviours have continued and, and lots of us are now buying alcohol online when perhaps we weren't. And there's nothing wrong with that particularly, um, but we do have some questions and concerns. For example, um, we don't yet know whether that convenience factor of being able to buy alcohol at the touch of a button without leaving the comfort of our sofas, whether that increases consumption and harm, we don't know whether the controls in place, particularly around underage sales, are robust enough when it comes to, to alcohol on the doorstep. Um, and the licensing legislation that kind of gov- governs all of this, um, that was implemented over 20 years ago. Right. And as we know, you know, 20 years ago, online shopping was, was very much in its infancy. So we certainly need to keep a close watch, I think, on, on this because it's likely that over time, online shopping becomes one of the main ways, if not the main way, to buy alcohol.
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, um, like you said, it's an ease of a button in order to mm. order um, alcohol mm. right to your doorstep without leaving the home. Um, Mark, yeah. just lastly, what key solutions do you envision in terms of alcohol policy in the next five to ten years? And what do you think will be the largest hurdles to getting to that point? Well, in England, the first thing that needs to happen is that the government should publish an alcohol strategy. Uh, we have one in Wales, we have one in Scotland, but we don't in England. And that's that's something that sets out the scale of alcohol problems in the country and, and then the direction of travel in terms of how improvements can be made in order to reduce uh, the many harms that alcohol can cause in society. So harms to our health, uh, alcohol-related crime and disorder and so on. Um, also, in England, there are over half a million dependent drinkers, but tragically, only about 18% uh, are receiving treatment. And we know how important treatment services are. Um, so, you know, that's why supporting services and, and, and making sure that they can reach as many people as possible is one of our core asks of government at Alcohol Change UK. And lastly, as well, I think we need tougher controls on, on how and where alcohol is advertised. I mean, one of the reasons why alcohol is so deeply ingrained in our culture is the way that it's marketed as a positive lifestyle choice. Um, it's always been difficult to prove that advertising specifically causes individuals to start drinking. Um, but there's a substantial uh, body of research that says that exposure to alcohol advertising, particularly at a young age, increases the likelihood that children and, and young people will start to use alcohol and will drink more if they're already using it. So again, tougher action on, on alcohol advertising would be a positive, I think. Great. Thank you, Mark, for joining us. Uh, it was a pleasure having Thank you on our show today. Thank you once again. Thank, Thank you so much. Yep, so that was Mark, uh, Senior Research and Policy Manager at Alcohol Change UK. Yes, you know, it was so great speaking to Mark and it has opened up uh, even more the, uh, in regards for example, when you mentioned about the buying online from the comfort of your sofa, I just remember, yes, you know, it's very easy. When we like, when I order something or something to another section, you think, well, I need this. And then you just click two buttons and in the next half an hour, even early in the night, it, drives, um, it arrives at your doorstep. And if, if for example, if someone is craving a, um, a drink, in this case, the topic of today's discussion is alcohol, right? You can just press a couple of buttons and it, it will arrive at you uh, at your door, doorstep without um, any hassle of going to the shop and buying it. That could have been, for example, if someone didn't want to have it and they say, okay, um, I have to go to the shop and have it. Mm. So it's like, I'll have it some other time then. So that could have re been reduced. And some things yeah. we have to also think in consideration in regards to online shopping. One also. thing is sure that it's, it has definitely made everyone more lazy. Yes. Um, within the UK and of course other parts of the world as well um, yeah but it was interesting uh, and of course there's campaigns um, which are helping and they are showing positive impact um, but it's just that these campaigns are a good initiative um, for obviously those that are going through this um, alcohol problems etc and do, we do hope and pray um, that they are able to control themselves oh. and it becomes a um, a, no part of their life in the future but of course it's just the initiative that is um, started and of course the entire January of course we talked about we, he, Mark spoke about dry January um, and it's an initiative where the um, consumers are try not to drink alcohol during that it's the whole month um, but of course it shouldn't be the case that um, 
this can also obviously have nev- negative impact as well. Let's say you don't drink, um, someone doesn't drink the whole entire month, but then the remainder of the year, uh, the consumption levels are increased. Um, whereas, of course, like you said, research suggested that there has been more control and balance moderated. for the rest of the is moderated within the rest of the yes. year. You know, the, the, these are the things, these uh, initiatives for change. And obviously, if you look into the Islamic perspective also, the Islam, Islam the, uh, has been trying that from the get-go to get, get it to zero due to many different um, issues which, which arise from um, drinking something which intoxicates you. Yes, yeah, that's right. one yes. important thing that I want to mention. You know, you spoke about how when alcohol was banned and all the companions and they literally, uh, they, their obedience was so high that they instantly, they threw all the barrels, emptied all the barrels yeah. and um, they were able to uh, be so obedient to that. Correct. Yes, and you know, and that the, when when the commandment came through, right? Uh, um, I mean, it says that it has um, 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 forbidden now, and there were people at that time said, "Oh, it might not be. You don't have to. Let's, let's confirm. Let's get 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 an idea mm. to make sure it is it, this commandment has come through." But the companions like, "It's fine. Let's break first everything, and, and then we'll we'll ask, then we'll ask about it." That that was the level of um, obedience they had. You know, that's why. In the, um, in, in, in the Holy Quran it's mentioned what you Allah what you Rasul that um, obey the Allah and uh, obey his messenger so when, when something comes through and it's said by the messenger you should um, do the work and then follow up on, on it right when, in this regard when, when, when they came about the um, banning of something which intoxicates you and the bells were broken down and the flowing through uh, flowing the strip, uh, flooded uh, on the streets right so and afterwards they went and they asked and then yes and they were like yes this happened this commandment has come through so this was like obviously I'm paraphrasing everything here but this was like, like a, a small summary of that very story and you know um, especially the potentials to um, um, going back to the, the dry January you know, the potentials to extend the principles um, of dry January throughout the year you know that, that could have a substantial impact of reducing that very uh, binge water uh, binge drinking rates the um, this aligns with the very Islamic pr- principles we've been um, to start uh, mentioning from the get-go from today's show and emphasizes on moderation and avoiding excess you know principles that can be applied to various aspects of life including um, alcohol consumption Islam's t- teachings on avoiding harm to oneself and others provide a framework that supports initiatives like a dry January the Holy Quran states O ye who believe the um, wine and the game of hazard and idols and divining uh, arrows are um, are only an abomination of Satan's handiwork so shun each one of them that you may prosper that's mentioned in chapter um, 5 verse 91 now, this guidance um, Noshiman, um, is not only about prohibition but also about encouraging a lifestyle that promotes physical and mental well-being now these are these are the, the, this is um, the teaching of Islam uh, and we can see from obviously uh, speaking with Mark today also and 
what he was explaining was it, it, it was in, in in line with um, Islamic teachings also that if you stop um, the consumptions of something which intoxicates you right um, in this case alcohol uh, it it can help you better and he mentioned a couple of um, um, things for example you run a bit further right mm. it's, it's, it's yeah. such a such a thing that yes you know when some when you stop something which is burdening you and you start you start becoming better and, and for example in this case for example running you might you might run an extra minute or so if you have stopped something which was causing you to and uh, you know something holding you back at that time and now that has gone and now slowly you have become you're becoming better and uh, physically and mentally yeah and also um of course 16 days into january yes. you still go um over two weeks or so um so our listeners they can obviously that they should try and use this month and at the end of the month of course like um, mentioned by our guest he was talking about how it also um affects your sleep you also have a much better sleep um if your alcohol consumption is reduced um just see the benefits yourself um try it out give it a try and see how um, no alcohol consumption affects your life um and then take it from there yes. you'll definitely see great benefits because this is what the quran teaches us quran teaches us that staying away from it um it makes you prosper of you course. will prosper you know, not taking this conversation further we have with us our second guest today um linda and did and she will be um, sharing a very deep uh, personal journey and that she you know, navigated the challenges of growing up with a parent struggling with um, alcohol um, addiction her mother was a an alcoholic um, who drank daily and denied that she had any problems growing up she was taught to keep secrets and never speak about her mother's drinking with this small introduction i would like to welcome linda to the show assalamu alaikum peace be upon you how are you hi hi thanks well, for having me there thank you so much for joining us today on and on such an, an an important topic of discussion um linda yeah. i wanted to ask um can you share some specifics um, um instances from your childhood that highlight the challenges you faced um due to your mother's um alcohol um alcohol drinking Yeah, sure. I mean, there was it's quite a lot of instances mm-hmm. um that that happened, but obviously there's there's a couple that stand out for me. Um the first was when I was only 3 years old. Um my mum used to play this game with me that um well, so she called it a game. Um it was about topping up the half empty alcohol bottles that she'd been drinking. Um and she wanted me to top them up with water so that my dad wouldn't notice okay. but she she also um told me um that I had to keep it a secret i i felt it was wrong even at that young age but you know i i did what i was told um the other one was was um had quite an impact on me um it was when my mum's drinking started getting worse when i was about 12 mm-hmm. um she would just get um you know the drinking got worse she was drunk she was verbally ag- abusive um and it always resulted in her telling me to leave the house um so what i would do is just walk around the streets um till say early evening at that point i knew she'd be passed out on the sofa 
so I could just go back home. Um, and so I would just go indoors. I, I just felt really anxious just creeping up the stairs to my room um, just in case she woke up. And, um, and that went on until I was about 17. And then just one day I just got fed up of sneaking back in the house, so I just left. So, yeah, it had quite an, an impact on me. Yes. So were there any um, moments where, when you felt um, especially isolated or unable to discuss your experiences with others in regards to this issue? Yeah. Um, well, I always felt isolated. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I always felt that my dad was too busy looking after my mum to protect me. Um, when I was young, family reputation was, was very important. So I felt that I couldn't tell anyone and and that I was taught and, and I just felt I had to keep my mum's drinking a secret. Yes. So I, I didn't share it with anybody. So uh, till this age of 17, and what coping mechanisms did you develop to navigate um, the emotional or psychological impacts which you which um, you were facing at that time um, of having an alcoholic parent? Um, well, I didn't have any positive coping mechanisms mm-hmm. um, and the effects stayed with me right into my adult life. Um, I used food and self-harm to cope and that just led to dysfunctional relationships and eventually I had a breakdown. Um, and then what happened was a one of the professionals um, suggested that I tried Al-Anon meetings. Um, Al-Anon self-help groups just offers support to anyone um, that's been affected by somebody else's drinking, and that's where I developed positive coping mechanisms. So it wasn't until I was in adulthood that I, I, you know, found those positive coping mechanisms. Yes. Um, if you can, um, if you if you want, to, if you if you can share some, um, what happens in those meetings uh, in regards of um, to cope um, to become better, um, when you, when someone goes through such a difficult phase of their time. Yeah, I mean, when I went to the meetings, I was with um, other people. Mm-hmm. that had been affected by somebody else's drinking. So they totally understood where I was coming from. Um, they they didn't actually judge me. Um, you know, I, I heard things that, that they said that, that made me feel that I was just no longer alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was, it was completely um, anonymous. They didn't ask for all my my background details or I didn't have to register. I I just went along and and just gave my first name and and I was free to speak if I wanted to and just listen if I wanted to do that as well. Right. Um, Linda, uh, how has this experience influenced your perspective on alcohol and substance abuse uh, prevention? Um. I would say that I would like to see more people educated on the potential effects of alcoholism as a disease, right. as a means of a prevention. Um, and because of my mum's drinking, I feel that I view alcohol in a in a different way. Um, a lot of people can see alcohol in a way of like to socialise, 
but yeah. I just prefer not to drink because of my experience. So I think um, education um, is a means of prevention for me. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And lastly, Linda, can you share any insights or advice for individuals who may be going through a similar situation or for even for those who want to support someone facing these challenges? Yeah, I, th- I think before supporting others, I believe we need to support ourselves. Um, I did it by attending Al-Anon meetings. Yep. I, I actually think that alcoholism is still a taboo subject in this society and lots of people can feel really isolated and alone, as I did. Um, I, ju- I just think that when I went to Al-Anon meetings, there were people who understood what I was feeling and going through, so I, I no longer feel alone. Um, so, you know, for anyone out there that's, that's trying to struggle along and, and cope, I'd, I'd say, you know, try a, try a meeting. Great. Thank you for joining us, Linda, and sharing uh, with us your personal journey and uh, speaking to us today. It was a pleasure having you on our show today. Thank you once again. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Linda. So this was Linda uh, in regards of sharing her personal experience from uh, when when she was very young to the age of 17 before she left the house. It's quite um, emotional. Um, what she went through and I hope you know our listeners if someone is um, in that situation might have helped them out um, through um, listening to Linda's um, journey and obviously yes yeah you know like what she mentioned what really struck me is that um, this can be applied to many different um, sectors and many different things as well um, that we consume Um, it's the reminder of education I think that could be made into like a policy of uh, reminding um, that the risks and the health factors that alcohol can have on your health and your mental well-being and i think if these are made more aware um, i think that could reduce uh, the consumption of alcohol as a whole um, similar in regards to smoking as well and the effects it has on your health Um, perhaps that would be a lead um, once people are educated once people find out um, the harms and and the risks of it, it will. And of course, it's not one of those things that you hit, listen, you read it once, or you listen to it once. Um, you might be like, okay, it's okay, whatever, and then move on. But if it's like a constant thing reminding you in on back of your head that, oh, this could be, it could lead to liver disease, it could lead to so and so attacks mm-hmm. on your body. Um, it can lead to your f- problems in your family, fights, etc. Um, and of course, if if the education is repeatedly um, circulated or somehow made into policies, that could be something that could help reduce this um, of course, problem. Had, as you know, hence, that's why the, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings, will be upon him, said, you know, the khamr, which means intoxicants, a um, alcoholic drink. Um, it's cause of all evil and it's like um, the word is used is umul khabais right which means mother of all evils so that that that, that that's what's been said in regards to in um, in, in intoxicating drinks mm. the word is umul khabais the mother of all evils and in many other narrations you know his holiness um, the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him as mentioned is you know whatever intoxicates in large quantities a small quantity of it is also prohibited 
and I have a short audio um, in regards to can you remain moderate when, when, when it comes to alcohol drinking habits. Here, here is what His Holiness has to say. People really don't understand the whole the whole uh, uh, meaning of that study. Uh, uh, the study was done uh, uh, a retrospective 40 years. They studied people who are drinking alcohol in moderation and people who aren't. And the conclusion is that they found out that you really, your life expectancy will increase by one and a half to two years if you drink in moderation. I don't think two years is justifiable and it doesn't make any difference really to, uh, to it's not a promotion for alcohol itself. I agree, but there are various <laughs> uh, reports as a result of various investigations held by different people. This life expectancy issue is very hollow and but, unreal. But even if it is I'm true, it still is not worse. I'm coming to the other side. The question is, can you remain moderate in your drinking habits or not? Now, the reports which have investigated a much larger area than England, including American study of American habits of alcoholism and others, reports by competent medical authorities tell us and describe us why we need more alcohol after we begin to drink it. And they describe it in medical terms, what changes are brought within, why the same amount of alcohol cannot bring about the same amount of excitement and happiness or whatever it is. <coughs> when it fails to do the same, then you need a little more. When the threshold is reached, then you need a little more. So. If you keep yourself within the limits of moderation, it has to be under very small, very powerful <coughs> self-discipline. Otherwise, it, it always demands for more. It is like uh, every other uh, drug's effect, even innocent drugs like aspirin. When you have one tablet for your headache, after a while, one tablet will not be sufficient, so you have to have two instead, sometimes three, four, five, until they begin to damage other par healthy parts of the body, particularly the mucous membranes of kidneys, stomach, etc. And on the one hand, it will be beneficial, on the other hand, it will be extremely damaging. So this is the basic issue. When God prescribes something, he knows human psyche. He knows what happens within man and what are the forces which once unleashed will go out of control of, ma of people. Alcoholism is one such thing. So in that study, the picture which is created relates to fatty degeneration. Now I didn't want to go into such detail in answer to your question. Because I know, as the Holy Quran has said, it has some benefits, of course, many benefits. In homeopathy, for instance, its use is very beneficial, but it's not to create intoxication at all. So there's no question of addiction involved in that. But according to the medical studies, your liver is uh, tuned to convert alcohol only to a certain percentage. 
when you drink more than that and according to their study most alco alcohol drinkers drink more than the capacity of the liver then the fatty degeneration begins to take place not only within the liver but also in other parts of the body in skin you know when you for instance if you ever observe the beef of an aged cow the meat of an aged cow or an aged goat you will see that there is a net of you know a net of hard fiber containing small portions of meat within and that hard fiber net is made of such uh, forms of of fat which are not digestible and which are rich in uh, cholesterol so they are very dangerous for human health so this is the actual report study of the doctors who covered a very large field of <coughs> alcohol drinkers and uh, they have published these reports that most liver diseases of modern times and most heart diseases of modern times are genuinely to be blamed on alcohol drinking habits of alcohol but th that is not the only factor if i enter this area of debate i should also tell you that there are some other factors which offset the bad effect of this and overall the whole life pattern has to be studied for instance the uh, italians and the spanish they also drink a lot of alcohol but incidence of heart disease there is much less than that in in the northern europe because <coughs> there are other eating habits which either compound the the bad effects of alcohol or decrease that the medical study tells us that because they eat uh, the vegetative fat from uh, olives this fat is not bad for health it in fact helps dissolve some deposited uh, cholesterol in different arteries etc it helps it, it uh, promotes health of the liver etc so that is why the incidence of heart diseases is less in southern europe than in the northern europe and the reason is that they they use uh, <coughs> olive oil far more than any other fat so these are complicated factors and just the medical reason is never kept in view by religious dictates that is why i never on any out of all out of proportion emphasize the medical part no poison is declared to be haram or forbidden it is left to human common sense what is bad for you you should abstain from doing it or using it but religious dictates religious uh, teachings are always related to moral health and that is why in the beginning i only mentioned the moral uh, the dangers to morality which are related to <coughs> alcoholism and i believe that is the reason why it is forbidden otherwise it is good in many <coughs> other ways somebody has caught cold and if a child suffers, suddenly catches, suffers from pneumonia there is no harm in giving him 
a teaspoonful or two of, of brandy or whatever alcohol you have with you. And for such usages, it is not forbidden. That also should be remembered. For good effects of alcohol, Islam does not forbid it. It only forbids it for consumption, for the purpose of intoxication. So these were the words of His Holiness. Um, may Allah have mercy on him, the fourth caliph of the promised Messiah and the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. As we are reaching the end of today's first hour, I just want to say a, a quick um, um, word of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace. And he states, alcohol is an evil which damages the mind and, the ki- and kills thousands of people every year and earns one severe punishment in the hereafter. This guidance, while rooted in faith, echoes a universal truth about the importance of making choices that enhance our lives, nurture our families and strengthen our communities and prevent us from causing harm, not only on ourselves but on innocent children, our family and even bystanders. As we conclude, let's reflect on these teachings and consider how they can inform our approach to a healthier living and a more mindful living. This is for the first hour, inshallah, I uh, will be back after the news. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace be upon you all and welcome back to the second hour of today's Drive Time show where we where we, we will be discussing in regards of extreme diets, hidden dangers. And if if you if if you have any kind of social media especially, you know, chances are that at one point or another you have come across a post or advert which claims that you can lose weight really fast. You know, usually these are promoting extreme diets, and extreme diets sound appealing because they will often result in rapid weight loss. However, extreme diets have their consequences also. They are almost impossible to stick to in long term and have ill effects on your health. In today's show. Um, we will be discussing some of these extreme diets and what are the hidden dangers they may come with. C- um, can they be subs- um, sub- uh, be able? S- uh, can we use them in the long run? And what does Islam say? And what Islam actually emphasizes the importance of um, eating healthy and the effects that it has on one's physical and spiritual health. And in also in regards to that, the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the the awaited Mahdi, um, has said uh, in the in his book the the philosophy and the teachings of Islam that it should be understood that according to the Holy Quran, the natural state of man is immediately related to his moral and spiritual states. So much so that even his eating and drinking habits affect his moral and spiritual states. Furthermore, his, um, um, the Prophet Messiah states that it was why the Holy Quran emphasizes the physical cleanliness and physical moderation for prayers, inner cleanliness and devotions. After careful consideration, one concludes that this is the true philosophy and the physical organs have great effects on the soul. Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam, page 18 and 19. So this is what the, what the problem sire has stated, you know, and it's the moderation and the cleanliness of one's um, physical um, 
um, being is really important. So, Noshimon, yeah. if you can obviously tell us some, um, what are the most common um, extreme diets out there at the moment? Yes, yeah, so this is a very um, important topic. And of course, like we've mentioned in our previous um, hour as well, how your physical um, self and whatever you consume, it also affects your um, spirituality as well and your soul as well. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what the promised Messiah, um uh, whom be peace, is stating um, in that passage. And so regarding uh, the most common extreme diets, um, they can vary. They can be extreme calorie restrictions or a restriction of a specific food group. And there are many such diets. And of course, you said nowadays social media is very prevalent in today's uh, day and age. And uh, of course, there are, I think, uh, depending on uh, what you search, what you like, what you're, um, what you're into, you'll most likely see fitness content. You'll most likely to see uh, content that's relating to uh, weight loss, etc. Um, so out of the most popular diets, one of the most popular diets is the keto and Atkins diet. Um, what it is basically, it encourages eating as few car- carbohydrates as possible and consuming high amounts of dietary fat. Um, and the goal for that is to force the body to burn fat for energy instead of carbs. And a lot of people who follow this diet often, um, whether that may be intentionally or unintentionally, they fall in what they call dirty keto, which is, of course, another term for that, which is essentially the keto diet, but without any considerations for the quality of food you consume. So just to give an example here, for example, eating processed foods. Of course, in our previous topics, we've discussed specifically processed foods as well. Correct. And uh, another extreme diet you may have heard of is a juice cleanse. It encourages the consumption of only fruit or vegetable juices for several days. Of course, that's going to have a very harsh um, impact on your body because if you're only having fruit or vegetable juice throughout the day, um, that is going to, at the end of the day, is going to help in uh, reducing weight loss. But this um, lacks important nutrition, such as fiber and protein, which are very essential for your day-to-day lives, um, for you to be consuming. Um, And aside from cutting out food groups or eating just one food group, one food group uh, rather, some diets majorly restrict the calories that one is allowed to eat in a day. For example, the extreme calorie deficit diet or a starvation diet, um, which is also very extreme, that during which you limit your intake of calories by more than half of your daily recommended intake or see um, how long you can go without eating anything at all, which is, um, you know, in a way you're starving yourself and you're you're, very, you're being very cautious yes. in regards to that. And in regards to your extreme diets, there's a narration yep. of um, one of the companions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, you know, Abdullah bin Amr. And you know, it's narrated by him also, may Allah, uh, be pleased with him. So he says, you know, uh, Allah's messenger, uh, peace, uh, peace and blessings uh, of Allah be upon him, was informed that I had taken an oath to fast daily and to pray every night, all not all the night throughout my life. So Allah's messenger, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, came to me and asked whether it was correct. I replied, let my parents be sacrificed for you. And the, the, it was a, a way of saying um, um, a some uh, um, to mental That's a way of saying this. So let my parents be sacrificed for you. I said so, and then the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, "You cannot 
um, do that. So he didn't say, oh, are you doing great? Um, well done. He said, you cannot do that. So fast for a few days and give it up for a few uh, days. Offer salat, which means prayer and sleep. Fast three days a month um, as the reward of good deeds. In mo- and it's multiplied and 10 times and that will be equal to one year of fasting. The Prophet said to me that, you know, fast one day and give up fasting for two days. And I, so um, Abdullah bin Amr replied that I can do better than that. The Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to me, fast one day and give up fasting for a day. And that is the fasting of Prophet David. And that is the best fasting. I, uh, I said, so Abdullah bin Amr said um, to the Holy Prophet وسلم, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. I have the power to fast better more than that. And then the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him said, there is no better fasting than the one he ascribed to the, the fast of David. Even in Islam where Muslims fast for a month, the Holy Prophet وسلم, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him has said, fasting two days is better than fasting daily. Fasting daily may um, have severe health effects on your bodies. So, you know, from from even in the early ages of Islam, um, when a, out of love a companion wanted to fast throughout um, throughout the year, um, throughout the time, and the Prophet went him. Did I hear this correctly? You want to fast for um, for um, throughout your throughout your life? And he said, Yes, that's what that's what you have heard. And you know the Holy Prophet said, "No, that that's not the correct way to do it. Do it anyways." And okay, if you want to do something, the the last um, um, called, idea or the last um, result which the Holy Prophet gave, the peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, gave to to that very companion was the fast of David. Okay, you can fast a day, and one day you relax and you fast the other day. Then, and this was the outcome of that um, um, story of of the of the companion. Oh. Even though it was out of love, the Prophet, Prophet peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, forbade from him to fast um, every single day. Yeah. So, of course, as Muslims, we prescribe fasting for a whole month. Of Correct. course, that's different that's to, um, that's obviously a whole entire month um, of fasting. But fasting every day um, can obviously have severe consequences, like we've mentioned. And obviously, some of these diets, that's what they incorporate, fasting uh, every day. And of course, throughout, obviously, if you want to keep this um, in the long run, then it can have severe negative consequences um, on your body, which is which is which isn't right. Um, because one, of course, if you fast during the month of Ramadan, you also have to be particular in regards to how you open your fast as well. It cannot be so that you um, fast the whole day, entire day you fast, but then you end up eating oily, fatty, processed foods. Um, which can obviously have a negative impact on your body. And that's why the sunnah or what the practice of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was that you should open your fast with a day and water uh, because that gives you nutrition straight away to your body and your body, of course, is dehydrated. So drinking water uh, would be the best um, source of, of nutrient, of course, to hydrate your body. So extreme diets, the following are some extreme diets which are rising in popularity because usually these would have been promoted by a celebrity who has lost a considerable amount of weight. Um, for example, Beyonce famously used the maple syrup diet to lose weight before her role in movie Dream Girls 
and is reported to have lost half a stone. So what this diet involves um, a detox drink made up of natural tree syrup with freshly squeezed lemon juice, cayenne pepper or ginger and water. So the diet suggests you drink six to nine of these drinks a day and that's it, which is quite extreme. Uh, Although you can have in the short term, it can have good um, consequences to your weight loss. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the long run, it can be... uh, Uh, it can have consequences another extreme diet which has been followed and promoted by celebrities such as uh, Jennifer Aniston and Lady Gaga is the baby food diet as the name suggests baby food instead of normal meals you eat baby food to curb your cravings and you know all of these diet cut out food groups in one way or another um, which is not good for you in the long run of course bringing back the Islamic teachings Islam teaches us that you should eat foods in moderation Right, whether that may be protein, carbs, um, fibers, and the Holy Quran states that all children of Adam look to your adornment at every time and place of worship and eat and drink, but exceed not the bounds. Surely he does not love those who exceed the bounds. This is from chapter 7, verse 32. And meaning that, just to sum it up, that you should still eat everything, but just in moderation. So, cutting out entire food groups. Um, in order to have extreme diet, in order to lose weight quickly, um, which could harm you uh, in one way or another. And carrying this conversation further, we have with us our first guest of this hour, Kerry Fleming, um, a head of um, safeguarding and quality insurance at Beat Eating Disorder. With this small introduction, I would like to welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace be upon you. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. And Kerry, could you tell us, uh, please, a little bit more about your organisation and what they do? Of course. So BEAT is the UK's National Eating Disorder Charity. Our aim is to end the pain and suffering of people that are impacted by eating disorders. So we have a variety of different services. We have our helpline and support services, which are open 365 days a year. And through that, people can contact us over the phone, via email, web chat, and uh, online support groups. We also have a wider team that work on campaigns for change, you know, challenging maybe things in the government. And we also provide expert training in healthcare for healthcare and school professionals as well. And thanks so much. And I wanted to ask you this. At what point do you think an extreme diet becomes an eating disorder? Eating disorders are extremely complex and mental illnesses and we know that diets don't always cause eating disorders but they do play um, a very large part in that. Mm -hmm. So we know that a lot of those extreme dieting behaviours such as restricting how much you eat, skipping meals and some of those rules and rigidity around food are symptoms that can be present alongside an an existing eating disorder. And as you said in the introduction there, it is very dangerous and it can be very, very detrimental to both your physical and mental health. It's, sometimes we see that a lot of the secretive behaviours of someone with an eating disorder, such as concealing food, can be really, really dangerous as well. We also find that when people are fasting a little bit more, they might they might see that that might that might be I guess perceived as being a bit more socially acceptable, a bit more normal and a bit not not being seen as dangerous. But really, they are just covering what may be disordered eating or an eating disorder underneath it all. So we do ask that people 
kind of avoid anything that is cutting out whole food groups, cutting out whole types of food, um, and making sure that they are eating everything in moderation as well. Right, Kerry, so what are some strategies or interventions that can help individuals break free from the cycle of extreme dieting and prevent the onset of eating disorders? So we would ask people who are you know, trying to move away from those sort of behaviours to try and remember what their normal relationship with food was like. So we know that people with regular relationships with food kind of follow their own body's natural cues, so their hunger cues or their fullness cues. When you're going through extreme dieting, you're forcing yourself to ignore them, right? which makes recovery a lot more difficult. So starting to recognize those again, starting to see what are normal eating patterns for yourself and trying to stick to that. We also ask that people consider what like a balanced approach to food is for them. So, you know, bringing back food into your social situations, going out for meals with families and friends, seeing the, the fun side, the, the normal side of food again, taking away the focus from that weight loss, taking away the focus um, around feeling uncomfortable around food and starting to feel safe with it in your day-to-day again. Right, and you know, uh, what warning signs or red flags should individuals, whether that's uh, friends or families, be aware of when it comes to extreme diets or potential eating disorders? Very good question. So we would also, we would always ask people to kind of keep an eye out for changes in that individual perspective that you might notice, such as becoming fixated on certain behaviours, so maybe around exercise, and starting to see that becoming a bit more compulsive than just normal everyday exercise, maybe counting calories. So, for example, if you're eating out in a restaurant and not being able to get the specific calorie information, or avoiding yeah. eating out in general. Um, anxiety around meal times, or kind of being very slow or reluctant to let other people be involved in the preparation of their food, or, or eating with them at home as well potentially um, isolating yourself from friends and family is another big one. Starting to see that bit of withdrawing from social situations and people that are in your support network and potentially hiding food as well is another one that we'd actually to look out for. Great, thanks. And uh, lastly, Kerry, what would you say to our listeners who may be uh, struggling with eating disorders? Um, the biggest thing for us from Abby is to say that eating disorder recovery is possible. And the sooner that you do speak to someone that you trust and reach out for their help, the more likely that recovery is. We ask them to, in the first instance, reach out to their GP to try and arrange the appointment for advice, guidance, local support, and of course reach out to our helpline where our advisors can advise you on kind of the next step. Or if you're not ready to talk to someone just yet, our advisors can help you with how to have those conversations and how to kind of start those maybe more difficult discussions with people around you great thank you Kerry for joining us it was a pleasure having you on our show today thank you once again thank you thanks yep so so that was um, Kerry Fleming head of safeguarding and quality assurance at beat eating disorders and of course she mentioned a few very important points um, in regards to that and of course once you if you do know any individual, whether it's, whether it's your friend or you're part of your family, and you can realise uh, from their actions um, and how they're carrying out, um, obviously whether they're counting their calories, etc., and how they carry themselves, if you see that they are potentially at risk of harming their body due to these extreme diets, um, then it is your job to look out for them Correct. and obviously uh, guide them as and well. And also in regards to be, be eating disorder, they have a pamphlet um, or 
a guideline online and I was uh, I was reading through it and they said so there's some some common myths which um, which have been seen to be reported right and one of the myths is for example eating disorder are just a fatty diet gone too far but in fact it is um, eating disorder are serious mental illnesses that require prompt appropriate treatment and neither regular restrictions or of food nor weight loss are pre- present in every disorder another myth is for example eating disorder only affects um, young women but in fact you know, it, the fact is that eating disorder can um, affect people of any age gender culture ethnicity or background girls and young women aged between 12 and 20 are most at risk but the studies suggest up to 25% of cases are boys and men another myth is for example eating disorders are a lifestyle choice but in fact it is um, people with eating disorders do not cho- um, choose to be ill and they are not trying to seek attention they can find it very difficult to recognize that they are ill and equally hard to acknowledge um, acknowledge it once they do know about it this is one of the most challenging aspect of how the illness affects someone's thinking and behavior and there are many more which they have written down also and they have written also some statistics in regards to eating disorder um is an estimated 1.25 million people in the UK suffer from um eating disorder studies suggest that up to 25% of the people with this um, um with eating disorder are uh, are male and eating disorders can happen to anyone as mentioned before to any race gender sexuality or background yeah it's quite alarming um that and especially um it is an issue and i think we have spoken about eating disorders on our show previously um and it just goes to show that we need to look out for our friends our families um and those individuals that we know because it is a serious health problem um and it can be at times it can affect individuals without them realizing mm-hmm. um it could also be in, in the shape and form like um, someone eating perhaps one meal a day um that could also be a potential eating disorder um without even of course they can just say that oh, we, we don't get hungry or we we aren't able to eat um but, but that is in fact an eating disorder so obviously we're talking about uh, extreme diets um there are many dangers yes. um like we spoke and obviously Kerry in, um, shed some light on this yes, as well you know, there are many um dangers associated um with extreme diets and um the most obvious effects that um extreme diets can have on our body is malnutrition um some extreme diets like the full complement of nutrients that body needs to function over time that can lead to malnutrition and when you don't consume um um enough calories to keep the body running it enters into survival mode slowing metabolism and trying to hold on to every fat cell it can eating too um too few um calories can lead to cognitive difficulties organ damage and even cardiac arrest this is why diets like extreme calorie deficit or a starvation diet that we talked about aren't suitable so, so this is one of uh, a aspect there are many more to yeah. 
um, many more aspects, and Nashwan will mention them also um, further. Uh, also, remembered a narration um, of of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. That's why uh, he he said, you know, a to keep a moderate eating. For example, it's have one third of food, one third of water, and have a third left for air, so you can at least breathe mm. in. And it's it's oh, that's not the narration. And it's said that a believer eats in one stomach and a non-believer eats in seven stomachs, uh, which means overfilling, uh, overeating. That's another mm. issue. You know? Overeating, uh, that can um, also harm your body from inside. Yeah, and great narrations there. I think thanks for sharing those, Saad. And, you know, Saad, so the studies, they also suggest that a high meat diet that is low in fruits and vegetables um, like one might undertake on the keto diet can lead to bone loss, which is, of course, uh, also a severe consequence. Because, you know, it is hard to stick to these diets in the long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, often one person might start these diets and um, they might continue it for a, for a week, two weeks, month, two months. But they'll see eventually in the long run they aren't able to stick to it because of um, because people tend to stop and when they start eating normally, they gain back the weight that they lost from the diet initially or perhaps they might gain even more than what they previously had. So this is called yo-yo dieting. A weight loss and regain can lead to high blood pressure and cause fluctuations in the heart rate and cardiac workload, um, which obviously potentially damaging the heart. It is. It also increases the risk of developing insulin resistance and type 2 um, diabetes, diabetes rather. Um, and you know, we, we spoke about the, looking at your calories and um, calorie restrictive diets lead to a loss of muscle mass throughout the body um, because of, obviously eventually if you're not eating the recommended or more than the recommended amount of calories that you need um, on a daily intake, it can re- reduce and have loss of muscle mass, um, m- making the remaining muscles weaker and slowing the rest- resting uh, metabolic rate, which can slow your future weight loss. Um, that's why that's when extreme diets lead to unnatural fast weight losses and when weight loss happens too fast that means the muscles of the heart can you know be working really hard and become very difficult for it to work and leading to potential fatal um, um, issues with the heart for example having a heart um, um, heart attack and you know Islam um, teaches us that the physical state is linked to the spiritual state so what you do to your body um, will affect uh, not just your, uh, not just physically, but also your spirituality um, uh, or your soul, which is why you need to be very careful of the diets you follow and the effects that may it may what uh, they may have on your body. And thinking this um, conversation further with our second guest um, Jennifer Lowe, a registered dietitian and a and British Dietetic Association um, spokesperson. And with this short introduction, I would like to welcome her to the show. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be uh, upon you. How are you, Jennifer? Hi. Hi. Nice to speak to you. Thank you so much for joining us on such a, an important topic. Thank and you for having me. Thank you so much. Uh, I wanted to ask, what is um, or what do you think about extreme diets um, and how they have gained so, so much popul- uh, popularity? Mm. Um, I think actually they've probably always been quite popular. There's always been these kind of crazy fad diets around for mm-hmm. as long as um, for as long as we know, really. But certainly the rise of social media means that actually these things can reach a 
further um, amount of people. So influences in particular are promoting fads and, and fast weight loss diets. Um, all they think probably um, people really like what we know. People really like black and white. You know, they like things that are very easy to follow and they don't particularly like to be told that things are going to take time so you know often these um, extreme fat diets do actually promise very quick fast weight loss um, which people are drawn to I think yes and Jennifer can you could you explain to us um, the potential um, nutritional deficiencies um, associated with um, extreme um, dieting yeah, sure. Um, so my patient groups that I see all have eating disorders. So often, you know, with with that, we see extreme dieting, extreme restriction in energy intake. Um, that can lead to, um, in the in the short term, feelings of lightheadedness and fainting episodes, and then in the longer term, restrictive diets like that do actually lead to, um, they can lead to loss of menstruation in females and also then as a result of that as well, um, osteoporosis, which is a weakening of our bones. Mm. Um, There are also quite a lot of diets around at the moment that promote reduction of carbohydrates or cutting out carbs in in total. and if that happens, then quite often our fibre intakes go lower than the recommended amount. And people end up with constipation and possibly uh, a worse gut microbiome balance as a result of that as well. Um, and in terms of micronutrient deficiencies, so the, the vitamins, the minerals, firstly, they're quite hard to measure, but also they're quite expensive to measure. Um, but if there's no balance in the diet, then people will eventually become deficient in micronutrients as well. Especially when you cut out carbs because you're cutting out a lot of B vitamins when you cut carbohydrates. The things I see most commonly in my practice are iron deficiency, anemia, low levels of vitamin B12 and low levels of folate. And having low levels of any of those can lead to really sort of extreme fatigue. Yeah. And Jennifer, like you've mentioned, I think um, the popularity of social media has affected um, these extreme diets and how they have gained popularity, uh, especially when celebrities, etc., they also kind of promoting certain diets as well, like we spoke earlier on the show. Um, and, you know, many people seek, they want a rapid weight loss um, and therefore they tend to adapt these extreme diets. Um, so mm-hmm. what are the risks of rapid weight loss and its effect on the body? Yeah, so um, the weight loss actually does cause our metabolic rate to slow down. I think I heard you speaking about that before. Um, So our bodies are really programmed to keep us alive. So when we have a restricted intake of energy, the body slows everything down and concentrates on the most important functions to keep us alive. So it concentrates on our breathing, our keeping our heart beating, our kidneys and liver working. Um, it won't put energy into things like keeping your hair or your nails healthy, as an example, as those aren't actually necessary for our survival. Um, we also see the uh, GI tract slowing down, so the gastrointestinal tract really slows. So it means that people become really full a lot more quickly. They might feel bloated a lot more easily when they eat. And they also often end up with constipation because of this. 
Um, the rapid weight loss also, as, as I mentioned before, it can cause the amenorrhea or the period stopping, um, osteoporosis, and, you know, at the very extreme end, it can cause multi-organ failure. Right, and Jennifer, just lastly, uh, we know, of course, we're talking about diets, and, you know, some diets might work for one person, for the other person, it might not be um, as suitable. So what mm. advice would you give to individuals that are considering extreme diets um, and the importance of seeking professional guidance rather than just, of course, relying on what you see on social media? Yeah. Um, so I think certainly look into the qualifications of whoever you're getting dietary advice from and going with somebody who's actually qualified to give that dietary advice. So a registered dietitian or a registered nutritionist who will be able to help you with your goals at a more sustainable and healthy rate. And I think the main thing is if something seems to be be true and seems like a really easy thing to do it probably isn't going to work or it's certainly not going to work in the longer term great thank you very much jennifer for joining us today it was a pleasure having you on our show thank you once again thank you very much for having me thank you thanks bye thanks, thanks bye. bye yep so that was jennifer Lowe, registered dietitian and british dietetic um, association spokesperson and you know, it was it was it was um, really nice speaking to her, and it, it opens up it's it um, opens up you know someone's mind when you speak to a professional in regards to if someone is considering taking um, any kinds of um, advice in regards to um, dieting. It's always better to look professionally than yeah. to someone else who isn't professional. But sad nowadays, everyone <laughs> on social media seems like a professional yeah. in their own way. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it has become a bit scary. Yeah. So everyone, obviously, it's 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 case by case. If if it works for someone else, it's not hundred percent. It will work work for for another person. So it's always mm. great to go to a professional, ask their guidance, mm. and they can help you out and make a good plan with you. And then you can work on that. Obviously, if you want to do it just just in twenty four hours, that won't happen. So you have to go to seek with professionals. Like even those um, very famous celebrities, they have um, um, what's it called? Many um, professional um, guidance yeah. given to them and help given to them, and, and all that um, amount which they spend, and you see um, crazy amounts um, of numbers being spent on just for one. Um, movie for example in regards of someone becoming um um um, um to lose um their weight for example yeah. yes. so yeah so uh, before we spoke to jennifer you stated a point that how islam teaches us Correct. that the the physical state is linked to your um spiritual state yes. as well and in regards to that the promise messiah upon whom be peace the um has um Hazrat Ghulam Ahmed, um, the awaited Mahdi, founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, has said in his book, The Philosophy and the Teachings of Islam, that so far as our eating, drinking, sleeping and awake- awakening are concerned, they are essential physical actions and they affect our spiritual well-being. Our physical girl is manifestly related to our humanity. Their relation, and furthermore, His Holiness, um, um, the Prophet Messiah states, the relationship of body and soul is such that one cannot explain itself easily. Uh, explain it, uh, explain it easily. Careful observation shows that the body is mother to the soul, uh, and that's written in Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam. Uh, that's in at page twenty-one, and. 
But, but the question now arises, Noshirwan, is why um, do people still follow these um, you know, diets, extreme diets, to be precise? Um, very important question. I think, first of all, like we mentioned, I think it's... Um, I think particularly in this day and age, we have to look back to what's social media, right? Because it's very prevalent in this day and age and it's very popular um, and people tend to get motivation, get um, the understanding and knowledge from those sources. And most likely, they are just not aware of the hidden dangers that these diets come with. They might see two pictures of, um, let's say, on social media, Instagram, whatever. Um, They see someone that has um, posted a journey they took a picture of before mm-hmm. um, and then of course they got a picture of after and they see just an incredible difference and they say okay we've done this in six months following this diet okay now you are the first thing that you saw was the pictures you saw wow that's amazing how did they lose this much and then you see the diet and of course once you see the pictures you link it to the diet you say okay I need to try this let's, if you, let's see if you're, if you're overweight you would say okay I want to try this now without um, going into depth of the knowledge or without consulting someone professional you would just uh, blindly follow based on what you've seen mm-hmm. so one of the main reasons why people follow is maybe perhaps they are unaware of the hidden dangers um, it seems that every other week there is a new diet circulating around social media whether that's keto, whether that's um, baby meal diet etc whichever ones we discussed um, and this will usually come with a before and after picture like we've mentioned um, so naturally people would like to just jump on that craze and follow the trends of society rather than uh, having the knowledge, full knowledge of it. However, doctors have been promoting healthy eating and exercise weight uh, for weight loss for, for many years, right? So it happens that, of course, these doctors, they've gone through um, years of experience, years of learning, years of experience with actual people helping them for weight loss journeys yeah, so why don't people listen to them why don't people listen to them right that's a natural question so it's human instinct to want quick results like we spoke to Jennifer as well people want quick results and like we mentioned in the other hour people are becoming lazy if they see something that they would uh, that would benefit them in one way or another mm-hmm. they would want to jump on it really quickly and of course humans we are generally impatient it's hard when that uh, what doctors are usually suggesting is a lifelong commitment to healthy eating and exercise. But studies have also suggested that these long-time permanent commitments that you do, a diet which is beneficial for you for your entire life, you, would, you won't see the effect of it instantly. But once you hit 70, 80, you will see um, how these diets are affecting them. People at an old age, they're still able to walk perfectly fine. They're still going around doing the daily is because of their diets, right? It wasn't because they okay they started they jumped on a bandwagon and just followed um, what they saw, and also people need to feel that the benefits of changing their behaviour will outweigh the costs. Um, says Osborne says that for many dieters the psychological cost of giving up their fattening lifestyle seems too great, so they opt for the quick fix. That's just to sum up the questions that you just briefly mentioned. Yeah, you know, that's why we should always remember to have patience. Right, and then the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has said, "A strong believer is better than a weak believer." So, you know, this includes having strong in terms of willpower and patience, or even in terms of not falling into peer pressure, 
And you know, th- this is what Islam has been teaching from 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 very start, uh, 400 years ago. Um, have the willpower, full stuff. Um, have the patience, right? And and the word sabr has been mentioned numerous times in different contexts, obviously, and also. But it's been mentioned numerous times in the Holy Quran, also. However, taking this conversation again further with our um, third guest for today's show, Becca, a professor of public health science and co-lead um, of the community-based um, health equity research program at the University of West Virginia, a spokesperson on behalf of the Obesity Society. And with this short introduction, I would like to welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. How are you, Becca? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today on such a, an important topic uh, in regards of extreme diets and the hidden dangers. Um, I wanted to ask you, could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and um, what is your research? Sure. Uh, so my name is Becca Krakowski and I'm a clinical psychologist and a professor in the Department of Public Health Sciences at the University of Virginia. Mm-hmm. And my research focuses on using technology to improve access to health behavior change interventions with a particular focus, focus on weight management. And could you tell us uh, um, some key findings or any insights from your research related to um, um, obesity and its impacts on the community health? Sure. So from my research, I have found that uh, technology-based approaches can produce clinically significant weight losses, Mm -hmm. and they're actually more cost-effective than in-person programs. And my current research is focusing on optimizing online behavioral programs in terms of the high touch or the human elements of programs, including Zoom sessions, which is one way we're currently using internet technology, personalized self-monitoring feedback, and individual coaching calls. My research has also established that early diet weight and physical activity self-monitoring are early signs of who's going to do well in behavioral weight loss programs. And we've also found that it's really important to log diet several times per day. Right, Becca, you know that extreme diets they have, some of them often gain popularity. So how does the Obesity Society view the role of extreme diets in addressing obesity? And what recommendations or cautions would you prefer you offer to individuals considering such approaches? Sure. So research indicates that it's important to really avoid the weight loss equivalents of get-rich-quick schemes. There are programs that guarantee you large and rapid weight losses in short periods of time, and that's often not smart. So instead, look for programs where you aim to lose about a pound per week And while people tend to lose larger amounts in the first few weeks or so, this rate is often not sustainable in the long term. And if you have that expectation, it often sets you up for disappointment. And at that point, you might give up completely. So really having those reasonable expectations. It's also important to choose a diet that fits with your preferences so you can stick with it in the long term. In head-to-head comparisons, weight loss diets have been shown to work about the same in terms of weight loss success. So it's important to choose a diet that 
you actually enjoy. So if you really like vegetables, perhaps a vegetarian diet could work for you. Or if you really enjoy meat, perhaps you know keto or um, other meat-heavy diets could work. Programs should also provide accountability and support that you need because weight loss is hard and you really need to have that support and accountability. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Becca, are there specific uh, strategies or advocacy efforts you believe are crucial in the fight against obesity and how can they effectively implemented and enforced? Mm-hmm. So it's important to support and provide insurance coverage for the full spectrum of evidence-based obesity treatments from behavioral weight management to anti-obesity medications and weight loss surgeries. Access to these treatments is crucial because different individuals have variable responses to and preferences for these different treatments. And the Obesity Society is doing important advocacy work for this through the Treat and Reduce Obesity Act. That's a bill that's been introduced in the U.S. Congress since 2013. Yeah, and I'm sure your uh, Obesity Society is doing uh, a a tremendous job in regards to that. Um, Just very lastly, on behalf of the Obesity Society, what key messages or advice would you like to convey to the general public regarding maintaining a healthy diet weight and how can individuals seek reliable information in a world where we discussed before, which is flooded with various dietary trends and fads? Mm Mm-hmm. So in terms of maintaining a healthy weight, being physically active for at least 150 minutes per week is a really key strategy. Generally, like I was saying before, individuals need to be wary of weight loss trends and fads that claim these large and rapid weight losses. If you think that it's too good to be true, it probably is. And organizations that are dedicated to the prevention and treatment of obesity, like the Obesity Society, are good sources for reliable information that are based on science. Great. Thank you, Becca, for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on our show today. Thank you once again. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yes, so so that was uh, Becca Krokowski, Professor of Public Health Sciences and co-led of the Community-Based Health Equity Research. Yes, and you know, Nushman, I want to give some more myths which are out there and which have been reported by the... Myths in in regards to uh, health and diet. Correct, and and it's been recorded by Beat uh, Eating Disorders. And one of the myths is, you know, you can tell just by looking at someone if they have an eating disorder. And eating disorders, and the fact in, in regards to that is, eating disorders are a mental illness. They have a serious impact on someone's thinking and behavior, but they are not guaranteed to cause noticeable changes to their appearances. Um, eating disorders come in all shapes and sizes, and not everyone affected will look ill. People may also gain loss or experience no obvious change to their weight as a result of their dis- um, eating disorder. You know, the, the myth is, oh, when you see someone um, who has sudden um, weight or gained sudden weight, and oh, they might have a dis- eating disorder, but obviously, as mentioned here, is you, know, you, you might not see their um, appearances as such, but they might have it because it, it, is, it is a mental illness. And, you know, before we were um, speaking about... Uh, 
the um, saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings will not be upon him, that, that a strong believer is better than a weak believer in regards to willpower, you know. And it and and I want to say also, it also has to do, you know, with the people who are promoting these um, diets. There may be um, celebrities and 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 there are many different celebrities who died. We mentioned it before, like for example, Beyonce is one we mentioned before, uh, or they might just be people online who are easy to identify um, yourself with. Now, body image is also a big thing in, in a world with social media. You see many photos of slim and fit influencers and celebrities, and you may want to look like them. And the quickest way to go about it, uh, it seems to, be, uh, to have a quick fix. Um, and and uh, also, despite all of this, it, um, it is best to follow the advice given by doctors to make a lifestyle change. Now, like mentioned before, Islam teaches us to eat everything in moderation and the importance of a balanced diet um, and not overeating is emphasized. Like I've mentioned before, you know, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has said, you know, a man does not feel any vessel worse than his stomach. It is sufficient for the son of Adam to eat enough to keep him alive. But if he must do that, then one third for his f- um, um, his food, one third is for drink, and one third is for air. And this is what um, the, the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that there should be a moderate and a balanced way of living, and not just sudden changes um, should occur in someone's life, like, for example, the narration or the um, story mentioned before uh, about a companion of the Holy Prophet. Um, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So, you know, Nashiman, what can you do instead if you, for example, um, to avoid um, extreme diets? Yeah, so of course, um, some of our guests, they have also spoken about um, what things they, they have advised, what what is possible. Um, so, of course, diet and exercise as recommended by doctors. Um, so what does this include specifically? So most fad diets promise weight loss rates of 2 kg or more in a week. But doctors themselves say that a safe and sustainable rate is 0.5 to 1 kg a week. Uh, and in the long run, it's more effective as well. Um, and to achieve this, most people are advised to reduce the energy intake by 600 calories a day. Uh, speaking about men, for most men, this will mean consuming no more than 1900 calories a day. And for most women, no more than 1,400 calories a day. But it would be advised that, of course, it depends on each individual as well and what their, how their body intake is as well and how their metabolism is, that one should, of course, speak to someone professional, speak to your doctor, uh, and, of course, they can help you tailor your calorie restriction according to your body type. And speaking of diet, it should consist of, of course, Islam plays emphasis on, as we mentioned in our show in this hour as well that it affects your your physical state affects your spiritual state and of course the promised messiah on whom be peace had had mentioned that what we eat is also affecting us and in this case so we should eat a balanced diet which which should consist of protein carbs fibers um, all of it. it shouldn't just be we're just eating fruit and vegetable um for this purpose so what sh- it should consist of plenty of fruit and vegetables, which are, of course, they are important for our bodies. Correct. Meals based on potatoes, bread, rice, pasta and other starchy foods, 
Um, ideally, you should you should choose high fibers and whole grain varieties. Some milk and dairy foods or diet uh, dairy alternatives, and some meat, fish, eggs, beans, and other non-dairy sources of protein. Um, just small amounts of food and drinks that are high in fat and sugar. Um, and of course, we go back to the teachings of Islam and. Islam teaches us that we should eat things which are good for us um, and these teachings were revealed to us 1400 years ago in chapter 2 verse 169 of the Holy Quran Allah the Almighty states that O ye, o ye men eat of what is lawful and good in the earth and follow not the footsteps of Satan surely he is to you an open enemy and you know and also in regards to this verse um eat good um, 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 and um, eat what is lawful and what is good on the earth there's another um, um, verse of the Holy Quran that you know O ch- children of Adam take your adornment at every masjid and eat and drink but be not excessive indeed he likes not those who commit ex- um, excess so eating good as one thing but also not eating what is good and in in, in excess and um, a lot that's also that 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 can turn bad. That's why it mentioned the Holy Quran. In another um, the chapter is um, chapter seven, verse thirty-two, that you know, don't eat excessively. Um, don't be excessive about it. So that's also one thing which you always remember. So have the balance, have the moderation. You know, that's why food plays an important role in the formation of a man's character. According to Islam, all foods should be halal. Halal means um, which which is permissible allowed by the Islamic law and tayyib which means um, good, pure, wholesome and agreeable. Under the second condition, um, sometimes even lawful things are forbidden. Um, uh, this is um, taken um, from the Holy Quran, uh, um, a sh- uh, it's a, from the short commentary of the Holy Quran. In addition to dieting, you'll need to exercise to burn energy. You know, the chief medical officer recommended that adults should do a minimum of 150 minutes of moderate intense intensity activity a week for example uh, have five sessions of 30 minutes um, of exercise a week sometimes it's even better than uh, doing nothing and doing just a 10 minute walk um, a 10 minute exercise at a time which is beneficial you know you don't need to have a jump into extensive workouts in uh, at the gym but moderate intensity activity is an, uh, is an activity that increases your heart and breathing rate such as brisk walking cycling and recreational swimming you know believe it or not praying five times a day as prescribed in Islam can also improve your physical health you know and let us explain and why and how it is. So Salat is one of the five fundamental requirements that all Muslims are obligated to perform. It is It has given the highest priority in Islam. And according to a narration, um, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has said, you know, verily there is cure in Salat. Salat meaning prayer. And in Islam, there is a specific way of praying which includes movements of your arms, bending, stretching and switching positions from sitting to standing and vice versa. And people often compare this to yoga. And we have all heard about the benefits of daily yoga. So if someone is praying five times a day, he uh, or or she, they are doing something at least. 
but obviously please, uh, we have to put the effort and time in the willpower the, the, the word is willpower you know have being a strong believer right and and having that willpower within yourself that yes i want to be healthy but not suddenly or taking extreme measures but having someone profession on your side asking your doctor for um a for the guidance so it can be tailored and it can be made in accordance to your body type hmm. yeah so we know uh, what is right we know what is wrong we know what kind of diets may harm our bodies um and of course it's not merely sufficient that one can just follow extreme diets um and not work out and not do any sort of physical activity um to enhance their uh, diet etc so it's important that along with your diet um keep a moderate diet keep a diet that's suited for you um and also you must also do exercise and keep it in a rate that's moderate and something that you can sustain for a long time and you will eventually see if you do not give up you will see that you are able um to make a good weight loss over a period of time and you will feel much healthier and much more um active in the long run and um try not to fall into these traps and yes. the trends of the society um without uh, having going through a thorough research thank you so much and that's all for today and i want to thank our producers for for today's show nadia shams parvesh huma hania mubarak and noor mubarak likewise our tech department armagan ahmed and it's always a pleasure presenting with brother noshwan thank you so much and zakala and inshallah see you all next tuesday again on this drive time show till then assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh peace be upon you all